Welcome back in, everybody, to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have two incredible artists joining us today. We have the playwright Christine Stoddard and the director Fiamma Piancentini, who are part of the show Mia Abuela. Queen of Nightmares. It's playing September 8th through October 1st at The Tank, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting thetanknyc.org. This is a great show. It has been on our radar since the summer. We are so excited to see it this coming fall, and we are so excited to have our guests here to talk more about it. So let us welcome in Christine Fiamma. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Thanks for having us. I am very excited to have you here today. This is a wonderful show. As we were mentioning before we started, this show was on our radar before we kind of connected. And so I like had a little mini fangirl freak out where I was like, oh my God, absolutely. Like, let's talk more. This is great. Because the synopsis that's posted is brilliant. It's just enough to like hook you, but it doesn't give too much away. So Christine, I, I want to start with you as the playwright. Can you tell us a little bit about what this show is about? Sure. So it started out as a book of poems, narrative poems, story-based poems that I wrote around 2017 and it was published in 2018. So during that period, I was desperately trying to visit my mother's home country of El Salvador for the first time in my life. She comes from a generation where many people who could came to the United States and Canada because there was a wretched civil war. So I never had a strong connection to her home country. And she actually never went back after she left, never went to visit relatives, the few that she had, never went to visit friends. She really started a whole new life. And she left when she met my American father, who was a journalist in Central America during the 70s and 80s. He was working for NBC. So I wrote this book of poems based on a lot of the disconnection and melancholy that I felt because of that disconnection and the the different ways that I experienced and witnessed my mother's grief related to not having her mother around, for instance. Um, And there's a lot in the story that's fictionalized or only very loosely based on my history or my family history. But I know in speaking to other women, especially whose mothers come from other countries, not just Latin American countries, that there is this feeling of belonging and not belonging uh, to a culture and especially and that that feeling is pronounced when you grow up in a place where almost nobody comes from your mother's culture like in my case I grew up in Virginia during a time when there were almost no Salvadorans and there there was even a very small Latin community in general so you know like there was just a lot of discomfort and I'm embarrassed to say shame too over my like things that she would do when I was a child would embarrass me because 
it was not these habits or behaviors were not American. And it took me a long time. It act it took me really going to her village and seeing where she grew up and how she grew up, all of these things to really get a sense of of compassion for her and for her journey and better understanding what it must have been like for her to raise me in a whole new place where she only became fluent in the dominant language when I I was an older child. Yeah, so I could go on and on and on about that, but definitely there is some autobiography and family history that comes into this story, but I didn't want it to be so literally about me either. So there's a lot of imagination and a lot of the idea of fantasy as a coping mechanism for the way that we relate to our parents and their grief and also the way that our parents use fantasy to to sort of protect their children from the realities of adulthood. Wow. So what inspired you to take this story to take these poems and turn them into a play honestly it was not my idea (laughs) i just had enough people read the book of poems which originally was just a little chat book and then it was selected for a larger book of poetry that had other smaller books combined into one book called water for the cactus woman and that was published by spite and dival in New York City the following year after the chat book and just enough readers because that water for the cactus woman got some attention it was in Ms. magazine and the poetry foundation website and a few other big braggy places but it, it just got enough attention in the reviews and on goodreads and some of the other websites where people who love poetry will just spill their guts about these different books they've read and yeah enough people said oh this is so theatrical this is so dramatic this it's such a story and so many books of poetry are not necessarily narrative and that encouragement just gave me the confidence I needed to write a stage play because Writing a play and then producing a play is a whole other commitment versus just writing a book of poems, which is very solitary. Very cool. That's wonderful. Now, Fiamma, I want to bring you on as the director. How did you come upon this show? So interesting story. I was a part of this production, the first iteration of this production that Christine did last summer at the Jean Frankel Theater, which I, th- I think she is considering it her workshop production. I actually played the role of Abuela in that production. And when the opportunity came up, Christine was, you know, got this offer from the tank and she was looking for somebody to direct it. And she wanted, I did the movement direction for the previous iteration as well. And, you know, she was talking to me about how she was looking for a director and couldn't find a director and wasn't finding the right person. And I was like, I'm just going to throw my name in the hat here because I feel like I have some good ideas. And I think I'm from Mexico. I was born and raised in Mexico. I have an understanding of the half American, half Latin perspective, you know, and I was like, I think that I would be really good for this, for this job. And so I 
pitched it to Christine. I made a little like visual deck uh, and she was into it. And so here we are. That's very cool. So what has it been like developing this particular iteration of Mia Abuela, Queen of Nightmares? So it's been really, it's been really nice to work with the tank. I will say that, like you said, they are, they're really into letting you, you know, get into the art of it. They're not so concerned with, for, you know, for lack of a better word, for with ticket sales so much, you know what I mean? Like they just want you to be an artist. They want to support you any way that they can, you know, they, they give you the space, they give you the, the rehearsal space, they support you with marketing like it's a it's a very like all-encompassing program that they have there that I feel like is such a a blessing to artists to theater artists in the city and they're just consistently doing just so much all the time so much production of stuff which is wonderful and so I feel like that's been a big part of this of for me of this experience has been working with the tank and working with people who are there to support you artistically in any way that they can has been wonderful. And then also just kind of, you know, taking Chris, Christine made, um, when Christine did the show last year at the June Frankel, I feel like she, she made a very good foundation for this story. And so just taking that foundation and just kind of building on it and bringing my experience to that foundation and expanding it, I feel like has been really great and really interesting. And yeah, and I'm really happy with with where we've gotten it to this point. Wonderful. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Let me turn back to you, Christine, with this next question first. And I want to know, is there a message or a thought that you're hoping the audiences will walk away with from your show? There are so many. <laughs> Today I was talking to our production assistant, one of our assistants, Christine Snow, because she wanted to share some of her interpretations. And she was telling me that something that she took away from the show was how parents do try and shield their children from the harsh realities of adulthood. And especially how mothers will take on, on that role with their daughters when it comes to uh, sexuality, sexual trauma, and different times, types of victimhood and surviving, coping with our place in the world as not fully equal citizens in the vast majority of societies. And yeah, I thought it was fascinating that that was one of her main takeaways. That's definitely a message that I want people to think about. The The notion of fairy tales and folklore comes up over and over again. And I know I wanted to raise the question of why is it that we have fairy tales? Why is it that these different folk tales and exist in societies and also what even is a folk tale is it always something that's shared throughout a culture and throughout a history or is it something that smaller group of people like a family can come up with themselves and pass down from generation to generation i think it's both then there's also the idea of matrilineal trauma the the family 
secrets and the family traumas that impact us generation from generation from grandmother to mother to daughter and how these particular traumas since they are based on gender are not the same as would be experienced from father to daughter for example that that relationship is just it, it might not be emotionally closer depending on the family but there is that link that cannot be denied <laughs> and then like i mentioned before just this feeling of belonging and not belonging feeling uh the feelings of shame that come with with feeling like you're not good enough or you're not enough of a culture in either sense in whatever culture it might be or cultures yeah there are just so many things but all also joy i think it's important to mention that that for all of these serious topics that there's still there's joy and there's beauty even with secrets and trauma and and other kinds of challenges that no matter the culture no matter the family and yes i am speaking a lot specifically about salvadoran american like those two combined because that's just that's what i know firsthand and that's what i was most inspired to write about this time around but i yeah i i think it is important to to cling to that joy and the beauty and and to look for it as much as possible especially when times are tough or certain conversations within a family are difficult that's fantastic. Love all those thoughts. Now, Fiamma, as the director, what is the message or thought that you hope the audience takes away from this? I think kind of a lot of similar to Christine. I think when I when I look at this play and I directed this play, you know, you get a, an overarching sense of it's a memory play, you know, and it's it's this girl, Maya, recounting the memories of her childhood childhood up until her teenage years and I kind of what I wanted to capture was the bittersweetness of all of it right so you had these really hard moments you have these bad memories you have these fears but then like Christine said you also have this immense joy you have these these nice memories that that stay with you and so my main objective when directing this play was to make sure that 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 you had that that spectrum, right? Because nothing's ever all good. Nothing's ever all bad. You always have a little bit of both. So that was like my main, my main focus was to just have that richness. And then also my second focus was to really bring in that culture aspect of it. I am Mexican, like I mentioned. So I did have to do like a deep dive on the Salvadoran culture. And I think that one of the main complaints of any Latin person will be that everybody wants to bunch you and put you in the same basket, right? It's like, oh, you know, you're Mexican. It's like, no, I'm actually Salvadoran. Or like, oh, you're Argentinian. It's like, no, actually, I'm Chilean. Like, it's people don't want to make the effort to make that distinction, which is very frustrating. So I really wanted to make sure to be very specific about the references and about bringing in this culture. In the play, Maya doesn't have a reference for it, but I'm kind of toying with the idea that even though she doesn't have the reference, it lives in her, right? It lives in her lineage. It lives in her family, 
Like it, it's just innate. I love that. Loving that. My final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to this show? And Fiam, I want to start with you first on that. Definitely any, like any sons, daughters of immigrants, immigrants, people who have this experience. I also think that this is such a specific experience. I had the reverse experience. Um, I grew up in Mexico and my mother is very like, very convoluted family history, but my mother, my mother's mother was Mexican who lived in Texas. And my mother decided to move back to Mexico and, and live in Mexico. So, but I did spend summers in Texas as somebody who was from Mexico, whose first language was Spanish, you know, who wasn't entirely 100% American, who didn't entirely fit in, like Christine had mentioned. So I think anybody with, with that experience will identify with this play and will identify with this story with that dichotomy and that like being split in half of not like I go to Mexico I don't entirely fit into in Mexico I go to Texas I don't entirely fit in in Texas you know I think that that's a very specific experience so anybody really with that experience would be the goal for me that is really really fantastic and I think that's a really great audience to try to attract especially now more than ever yeah you know Christine what about you Exactly the same, like Fiamma said, but also maybe people who can't always see theater. Theater in New York City can be very expensive. Even the cabaret venues with a $10 or $15 ticket usually have a drink and food minimum. And by the time you walk out the door, you've spent 50 bucks. It's just very tough in this city to see affordable theater and we do have different price points at the tank for that reason thank goodness but even the cheapy ticket is $25 we have discount codes we have our $5 off ticket for opening weekend and we'll see what other kinds of deals that we roll out as the show goes on but yeah as much as possible getting college students getting high school students even low-income, mid-income, because even for mid-income folks, theater can be expensive depending on circumstances. And I know the tank has said that's a priority for them too, is to try and make the tickets as accessible as possible, while still recognizing that there are real costs that go into any production. change things up now for the second part of our interview and i want to let our listeners kind of pick your brain a little bit and get to know you a little bit better and i want to start by asking you to what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows in the past have inspired you or just some of your favorites and christine i'd like to start with you on that Sure. I definitely do not consider myself exclusively a theater artist. I'm just inspired by art and I would say culture in general. I That being said, 
one of my favorite playwrights is Sarah Rule. I just love how she brings magic into her stories. But I draw a lot of inspiration from other art forms, too. For this play, one of the artists I had in mind, even while I was writing, was Guadalupe Maravilla, who is a performance artist and painter and sculptor and multi-hyphenate, but definitely is more in the contemporary art gallery and museum world than theater world. And he's Salvadoran. He came to this country when he was, I believe, eight years old, crossed the border by himself. I mean, he was, he was, you know, with various groups of people, but he didn't have his family. He didn't have his parents with him when he crossed. And his whole body of work that's gotten attention is about the folklore and and the the fairy tales that he's created based upon his border crossing and then how he was diagnosed with cancer also as a young person I'm not sure if he was a child teenager or young adult at that point but very young either way so his own conception of fairy tales is is something very prevalent in his work and that's something that has really stuck with me and his use of color and the way he paints things it, everything's just beautiful and I love how he comes up with these own rituals himself you and yes they are inspired by different Salvadoran folkloric traditions and pop culture from the 80s and 90s early 90s while the war was still going on but I find his blend just so beautiful and fascinating and sometimes funny like he brings humor into it too which is great and then poetry always poetry <laughs> no matter what I'm doing poetry is present even even if I'm making visual work I have poetry in my mind and Gwendolyn Brooks has been one of my favorites Nikki Giovanni Langston Hughes for whatever reason ever since I was little a lot of African-American poetry has has been my thing it might be because my dad was really into Harlem <laughs> when he was living in New York City and would go see a lot of jazz and poetry and yeah and just introduced me to a lot of that when I was little that's a wonderful list Biama, what about you? What are who inspires you? I think, you know, working on this play has been very satisfying to me because I do, I am a big fan of magical realism. You know, I love, I love Isabel Allende. It's something I've been reading since I was really young, you know, Haruki Murakami and Paul Oster. And I just love that stuff. And so to be able to like bring that to life has been just so gratifying. In terms of art, honestly, I've been really, I've been really getting into folkloric art and I think this was you know growing up in Mexico and being constantly surrounded by it and being you know just living inside of I I grew up in a town in Mexico called San Miguel de Allende which is just constantly festivals and parties and fireworks and costumes and just it's so colorful and so beautiful and flowers and colors and the specific art type is it's made by artesanos which are like just local artisans so it's not really you know it's not in a it's not in a big museum it's not necessarily like critiqued by art critics but to me it's just like the most beautiful I love art that is made 
that is really human you know and to me this stuff is just really human and so I it's actually that note Frida Kahlo was actually I got a, a book recently that talks about she had the same inspirations as living and growing up in Mexico because there's it's so rich and prevalent when you live there it's everywhere you're surrounded by it this is a lot of people make their living by selling art on the streets but and making it you know making their own art and so it's just like a constant form of inspiration that you live with growing up there and i think it it informs a lot of my artistic decisions specifically for this play and we were able to bring in some a lot of like folklore and like that folkloric artisan look into the play which i'm super excited about that is a beautiful list what a wonderful inspiration i love that answer now i know the two of you have been very busy rehearsing getting ready for opening night that's coming up but have either of you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners i think that the two things that i saw lately that i really liked are not open anymore unfortunately but I did, I saw a play called Wet Brain, which was fantastic. I don't know if you saw it. And mm-hmm. the nice thing about Wet Brain, too, was that it did feature a, a Latino family. But it was just so, it was such a wild ride. And I, I enjoyed it so much. And then the other thing that I saw that I really liked was Grey House. I thought Grey House was very effective. I feel like, I'm not sure why, you know, it's it's a, a scary, quote unquote, scary play. I'm not sure why they didn't wait for spooky season. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I think those are the two for me. Oh, and then I saw Black Odyssey, which blew my mind. I don't know if you were able to see that. It was out of the, it, it just like out of this world. It was so good. But I like I said, all close. I feel like these plays, they're, that's the thing, right? They're just so amazing. And then they, you know, you either see them or you miss them. And it's just so tragic. You got to see them while they're open. That's why you got to run, don't walk to get to these things. Exactly. <laughs> I did see Anne Juliet as a gift from a friend. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do not often get to see Broadway plays <laughs> because they are so expensive. And I'm still not convinced about big crowds, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> I, you know, a hundred and under seems okay to me, but once we start getting bigger, I, I start getting nervous again. Not not to knock an entire industry. I love all of you all and I want you to have jobs. <laughs> but that that was a lot of fun. And I tend not to be a jukebox musical kind of person. But I did appreciate the level of detail, the craftsmanship, the spectacle. And I thought they did a great job of bringing different kinds of performers to speak to diversity, right? Like they really did bring every shade and gender expression it seems like for a story that's certainly not thought of in that way that being said I don't know how many more times I need to see Shakespeare reinterpretations but that's also (laughs) my hot take for another time (laughs) and then I will plug my boyfriend Aaron Gold he does You Are Not Alone at the Magnet Theater one of New York's big improv theaters and this show is coming up on its nine-year anniversary it's a mental health comedy show and they bring in three different storytellers to share some kind of mental health experience the joke is you're never 
too depressed or not depressed enough to share your story on the show and just about everyone has some kind of mental health story to share and then their team of improvisers will come up with scenes based on these stories but not in a way that ever makes fun of the story that was just shared instead they pull like images so if somebody says oh my anxiety made me feel like a fish out of water then there could be a scene about a fish out of water it's just a it's a very yes it's a funny show but it's also inspiring and it always gets so many compliments afterwards people really feel a sense of belonging and camaraderie especially for topics that are really hard to talk about i mean i've heard people share their stories about their childhood speech impediments and i i had that you know and it was something i didn't talk about for years and then there were two different monologists who had stories about speech impediments in the past year, and that was wonderful. Lots of stories about suicidal ideation or attempts, all very important, and really everything in between. And people find ways to, to make these stories relatable. I love that. Well, we have now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and I'm excited to hear yours. And it's, what is your favorite theater memory? Can I share two? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I have a, I have a lot of theater memories, but I do, when I was in second grade, me and my best friend wrote, directed, and produced a play about global warming. <laughs> And I think of it's, you know, and we made like, we were, everybody was a tree and we cut out the tree. We made the tree cutouts and we had our whole little second grade class and everybody came to see it. And I think I just, it's such a like fun, great memory for me. And then a theater memory for me of experiencing theater is I went to go see a production of Tamburlaine at the theater for a new audience that could be wrong the one in brooklyn and fort green i think it's a theater for a new audience anyway and the 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 play was just i I don't i'm not sure if you're familiar with the story tamberlaine it's supposed to be like the darker shakespeare it was just buckets and buckets of blood and we were sitting in the front row and when we left we were like splattered with blood and i was like this is what theater (laughs) like should you know what i mean like it should be I love that it's immersive. I love that you were like right there with them. You could smell them. You could, you know, you were covered in blood. Like, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. That is very cool. I love those. Thank you for those. Thank you. Christine, what about you? Sure. So definitely early childhood. I have one of those similar I don't think our our play was about climate change. I have no idea was what it was about. But I do remember being in first grade and we made masks out of paper plates and every child decorated their paper plate with a different character however they wanted. And I know there was a lot of singing and stomping around and just making a mess. And that brought me a lot of joy. Then... <laughs> A more from a from a working perspective, back when I lived in the Washington, DC area, one of the things I did was 
I worked in translation for Teatro de la Luna, they would have the scripts all in Spanish because all of their plays were Spanish language, but they would need the scripts translated into English for people who didn't know Spanish or enough Spanish to follow a full play so that they could wear headsets for live interpretation. So professional actors would be in another room doing the interpretation of the play in real time. So I'll never forget the first time my father came to see one of these plays with my mother. And my mother is a native Spanish speaker, right? And my father is a native English speaker who knows no Spanish, like zero Spanish. So to watch both of them sitting next to each other and experiencing the same play because I was in the same role with them, right? It was just hilarious because my mom's laughing at all of the jokes in real time or reacting to the emotional moments in real time. And then my dad's reacting to them like 30 seconds to a minute later. <laughs> yeah, so that that was just like an experience in sort of the the logistical side of theater and these like cultural considerations that come in putting on a show and for one more quickly Synetic, which is another washington dc company is well known for their movement-based theater and a lot of their productions don't have dialogue i watched the tempest i don't remember if it had dialogue if it did it was very limited it was music based sound based but we got soaking wet because the, <laughs> the stage had a pool on it so all the performers were splashing around in the pool throughout the production <laughs> And all it's like going like Fiamma was saying about the blood, like, yep, this is theater. This happens. <laughs> Those are also fantastic. I love I wish I could have seen your parents' reaction because that is just like a sitcom right in itself, right there. That is wonderful. Thank you both for those great memories. Do either of you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? I am I am fully immersed in this product this production right now. I'm not I'm not even looking like a month ahead at this time. I'm trying to get this baby out the door and on the stage. So not for me currently, but thank you for asking. Yeah, I have a few projects always in process because I I have I do a lot on a modest budget. So I have to be resourceful and selective with collaborators and like place a lot of trust in people who understand, hey, payoff for these things might be a little <laughs> a ways off. But one project that I have that's recurring and it's already gotten started is Badass Lady Folk. And that's a talk show on the Manhattan Neighborhood Network. I invite different incredible women to and all kinds of women and non-binary folks to to share their experiences to talk about their creative projects or social projects but also talk about feminism womanism and whatever sorts of social and political topics they want so every conversation is different it airs on mnn 
as a TV show, and then audio only is on Radio Free Brooklyn and on podcast platforms. That's awesome. Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about Mi Abuela, Queen of Nightmares, or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do that? I, if they want to have more information about Mi Abuela, go to the, to, I believe the website is Tank the tank ny.org i believe yeah. is the correct website yes yes i got that and you will be able to find all of the information there we're we are their main production for september so it shouldn't be and we are highlighting we are their production that is highlighting hispanic heritage month so it shouldn't be hard to find on their website for more information about me i have a website which is my last first name and last name which is very difficult to spell but I think it'll be somewhere in the show notes, I assume, but www.fiamafiacentini.com or fiamma.a.p on Instagram. Everybody's just on the gram these days. So that's how you can find me. Yeah, definitely find the show, like Fiamma said, on the Tank website. That's the most important link for us right now because that is where we have tickets <laughs> and we want people to come see the show. And yes, we have different iterations and, and different smaller projects that have been tied to this show. But please come see the show. <laughs> you can go to my website to find out about what else I do at worldofchristinestoddard.com. And my Instagram is Stoddard Says, S-T-O-D-D-A-R-D-S-A-Y-S. Also TikTok and Twitter at Stoddard says. Perfect. Well, Christine Fiamma, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by and talk to me today about this incredible show. I can't wait to see it. It sounds amazing. And it's good. I know it's going to be a huge success. It's going to be a great run. And I'm so glad that you are the main stage show for the tank. So congratulations already. And thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. My guests today have been the playwright Christine Stoddard and the director Fiamma Piancentini, whose show Mia Abuela, Queen of Nightmares, is playing September 8th through October 1st at The Tank. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting thetanknyc.org. We also have some contact information for both our wonderful guests, which we'll be listing in the episode description as well as on our social media. But make sure you get your tickets now for this great show, and we'll be letting you know when we are attending so that we can make it a stage whisper night out at the theater. But get your tickets now, thetanknyc.org, for Mi Abuela, Queen of Nightmares, playing September 8th through October 1st. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez, reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One sang the praises of Cape. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free 
free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. The lights of old.